A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I'm Chris Elias. I'm your host today. I have with me Carol Poor. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Hi, Chris. Doing great. Thanks. We are really excited to have you with us today. Um, Carol is a um, an expert. She's an internationally renowned expert on strategic planning, and that is something that is just so important and something that sometimes gets forgotten in, in times like this. She's also the author of Strategic Impact, um, phenomenal book, actually newly released, and it's available pretty much everywhere where you can buy a book. Um, so something I would highly recommend. Um, anyway, Carol, you know, you, you are an expert. I mean, the world recognizes you as an expert. You're asked to speak and you do international webinars. You work with large companies. Um, but, you know, people don't just show up and don't just beca- become recognized as an expert overnight. Uh, you know, our, our listeners, I'm sure, would love to hear a little bit of your history. How do you, how do you go from being somebody just entering the, the business world to being at the level that you're at? Well, thank you, Chris, for allowing me to just share a little bit of my story. Uh, First of all, I was so thrilled that Fast Company Magazine is a publication I've read for, gosh, as long as it's been out, maybe, you know, almost three decades. The press arm came in to be my publisher, and it is a transformative magazine, which goes very nicely with your radio show. Uh, And so uh, it's been an interesting journey putting everything I know about strategic planning into one book. But I started out in um, the field of broadcasting, television production, radio, newspaper, and then I crossed into what they call the dark side of PR. And I went into corporate PR, public affairs at the nation's second largest water power utility called Salt River Project. And I spent a number of years there uh, overseeing publications, executive speech writing, all sorts of communication elements, and then moved into the strategic planning area of that organization and uh, was part of their senior analyst team. So that's really where I developed my muscle as far as strategic planning, getting groups of leaders together, making it interesting and fun. And then I was invited to start up a subsidiary company within the utility, a three-person startup company, very entrepreneurial as a result of being involved with strategic planning. But there, after the utility industry, I went into higher education as vice provost of Arizona State University, helping to run on one of the the campuses, one of the four campuses, the West Campus. Um, And there put my strategic planning expertise to use, uh, overseeing my group of uh, fundraisers and external relations people, master planning for the campus, all sorts of planning that that strategic experience helped me guide the university world. And then from there, went to oversee a a nonprofit health organization. Uh, My first step as a CEO into a nonprofit, although I had served on many nonprofit boards, um, overseeing an HIV AIDS organization. And again, we went through two strategic plans during the economic downturn of around 2008. So it was just not a comfortable time to be a nonprofit CEO when banks were failing and all of that was going on. But because of our two strategic plans, uh, we were able to um, attract interest from a donor, a billionaire that helped us um, renovate a building right in the middle of downtown Phoenix on light rail. We were able to qualify for city of Phoenix bond monies. So that was a tremendous experience as a nonprofit leader. And since that time, since 2013, I've uh, applied my strategic planning skills as a consultant, working with businesses of all types. But I've got to say, 98% of all businesses in the United States and really around the world are small businesses, and that's near and dear to my heart, that and the nonprofit and trade association world, because it's really difficult for a lot of those organizations to know where to start. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing how many of those those businesses don't have a plan. I mean, they really don't. They think they do. They've jotted a few things down. Um, or even if they have a plan, it's... Um, 
I don't know how to explain. It's it's not something they can really execute on. One of my favorite quotes of all time from Thomas Edison said, "Vision without execution is a hallucination." Right, and and <laughs> and, and and I joke a lot about meeting a lot of companies that are hallucinating because they have all these grandiose visions, but 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 it's the actual execution. It's the, it's the planning part of it that they fall short on, and I think people don't really understand what pl- strategic planning is. I mean, it's become one of those things through the years. Everybody talks about it. But the definition has gotten very, very blurry. And quite frankly, I've met a lot of, I'll call quote-unquote, strategic planning consultants and organizations that, you know, couldn't plan themselves out of a paper bag. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how they're, how they're doing it. They have this kind of canned format. But, but I see the product and the companies I'm with really, you know, kind of fumble around. They don't move forward. So what separates? I, I mean, you know, you again, you, the work you've done, you've brought a ton of success to your clients. What separates somebody, somebody like you from them? And, and maybe even going before that, what is the definition? How would you describe it? And what is it? Well, great question. And um, not only did I put my expertise into this book, but I also did a very deep dive in um, um, literature research and some of the traditional uh, definitions. It's a discipline effort to produce decisions and actions that guide and shape what an organization is, what it does and why it does it. That was John Bryson. Henry Mintzberg said that it encourages new perspectives and ideas that surpass departmental silos. Michael Porter talks about the difference between strategic planning, a process that really envisions a future and uh, focuses on strategy, the competitive choices that lead to competitive advantage or economic success. My definition of a vital strategic plan, and by the way, I believe strategic planning should be vital. And that goes against a lot of um, uh, stereotypes about strategic planning, where strategic planning is boring, or it's too complicated, or it's just foggy, or doesn't result, as you said earlier, in anything that gets measured. My definition of vital is that it's lively. The process is life-changing for the participants as a leadership experience, and it's life-giving for an organization. So I've come up with a three-step framework that I call the vital strategic plan. And it it consists of three major things. First, the strategic planning workshop. And I call that the shared experience. And I believe the workshop should be life-changing. The participants should feel so honored to be a part of it. The second part of the framework is the written strategic plan, putting all of those strategic goals, um, the vision, the mission, the components of the strategic plan in one place. And I call that the shared story. But the difference in my book is I am the first author, the first strategic planner to ever really talk about um, the workshop experience, not only being able to be in person, but with all that we've learned in the past year with COVID, having the ability to do it virtually, as well as the written strategic plan going beyond a written document and being digitized, um, exciting infographics, and really have it come alive visually. And then the final part of the framework is the system for tracking. And I've also combined communicating the results. And that's what you talked about, Chris, earlier, uh, the shared outcomes. Not just having a plan, but constantly tracking where we're at uh, according to what we say that we're going to get done with those strategic goals and then communicating throughout the process so that everyone feels a part of it. Everyone understands where the organization is. So it really is breaking some old paradigms of having some strategic plan that never gets uh, uh, implemented or becomes a shelf ornament and no one ever really sees it. I, I love that you say shelf ornament. Um, the old days, we used to joke about them sometimes being a doorstop. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember, um, I, I remember the, my first experience with strategic planning um, many, many years ago, and we had brought in a, this, this one kind of consulting group. And it was, I mean, it was painful. I mean, it was days and we ended up with this big, huge binder. It was before we went on to another group that really taught me what it could be. But, uh, but when I left, um, big boy and, and started the business and, and um, started doing some consulting. Really strategic planning was what I put my arms around because I, I didn't know what else to call what we did. And I think today I would, st- I would actually call 
it strategic planning and strategic execution, building a culture around those things. That's what we talk a lot. But back then, 20 years ago, um, I realized then how many bad, I don't know how else to say it, bad consultants there were out there doing this work. And I got invited in as one guy I met who just loved our process, which very similar to what you're talking about, about an energetic you know, meeting where we, where we put it all together. And I, I was sitting in front of the CEO. It was one of his, his executives who, who, who brought me in and, and started talking about, about the, the process and what they did. And they, they spent a week doing it with all kinds of preliminary work. And you know, they built this binder and they had all their goals set for the next couple of years, blah, blah, blah. And I started asking questions, well, what's your biggest goal? the CEO, and, and he couldn't answer the question. And he started looking for this binder. He said, well, you know, let me, let me show you what we did because he couldn't remember these things. And lo and behold, he couldn't find the binder. And the reason being is it was on the floor holding the door open. It was about a four okay. inch thick binder. And we joke about it being a doorstop and there it was, it was a doorstop, right? I mean, talk about, you know, a process and, and they don't know what it is. It's not communicated. It's not executed. Well, this, this happens a ton. Yeah, it, it does. And um, not to disparage anyone, but my goal, because I can't be everywhere and I take on consulting projects very selectively, but there are organizations across the world that need help with their strategic plan. And most of the time they have the resources within their own organizations to actually do it. So I talk about how to create that workshop, how to um, produce the written plan and then consider other forms of communicating it. Uh, and so it's very, this is very helpful uh, because different organizations have different processes. Small organizations and nonprofits, they may only have a day or two to get their board of directors and their top staff members, their executive team together. Whereas a large organization, large global organization, they may have um, a complete staff internally that takes months of um, putting together groups of people, talking about competitive intelligence, public processes, on the other hand, such as city planning. And I've been involved with the city of Phoenix. I live in Arizona, so I live in uh, the city of Phoenix, which is a large metro area. I believe it's like the fifth or sixth largest in the United States as far as the metro area. But the city um, had a three-year planning process, and we met with uh, residents and citizens in every single district and had bilingual meetings as well, asking people what their vision of Phoenix was uh, all about. And it was a a very participative process, but that was much lengthier than most organizations have, you know, time for. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so I've got all kinds of questions. And so I, I want to come back to some workshop questions in a little bit, but, but I, maybe I have a question before all of those. So, you know, for those of you who are listening, if you're listening to it rel- either live or, or, um, or, or the podcast shortly after, after we broadcast, um, you know, we're in the time of COVID, uh, if you're listening to this later, just want to make sure I mention that because it's pertinent to this question. We have a lot of companies right now that are not even sure how they're going to make it to next week, let alone next year or five years from now. And yet I believe it's, it's important to be doing this work. I think this is the time where you get a leg up, but why would, why should companies be dedicating time in stressful times like this when they're worried about all the tactics in the issues? Why should they be dedicating time to the strategic planning process? Great question. And when you think about like companies, large companies like Target, Target, probably a little more than a year ago, um, maybe it was right before COVID, when they went through their strategy uh, time period and their strategic planning process, um, you know, they developed this, this strategy, this choice of how to reach their revenue goal by considering a, a new program that they call Drive Up. And this is a program where you can order online and come drive up and you, you know, text them, I'm here. <laughs> and Target, because of this drive up uh, strategy that they put in place before COVID hit, who knew that there was going to be this culture where people are really worried about getting out and going into to stores. And so this has resulted in millions, billions of dollars for Target. So organizations that can look ahead and once they spot something that's impacting their industry, whether it's COVID, whether it's any type of a trend, 
the ability, and this is an overused word, but it's such a good word, to pivot, to change, and to be flexible to pursue a new strategy uh, can be really timely, and it can make the difference between survival or um, closing business. Yeah, absolutely, and and for small businesses, it's 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 important as well. And so we're we're actually already coming up on our first break. So uh, before we get into more topics, let's we'll we'll take just a couple minutes here, let the radio station do its thing. But when we come back, I, I do want to touch on the importance for small businesses because. It's funny how sometimes I'll come across companies that'll say, oh, we're too small for that, or we don't have the time, or we we can't make that happen, or we can't invest in it. And then they wonder a year later, two years later, three years later, why they're still the size they are, or they haven't grown. So when we come back, let's, um, let's address that topic. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Carol Poor. So, Carol, before the break, uh, we were starting to talk a little bit about um, small businesses. And one of the things I bump into, um, I've got a lot of friends who have smaller businesses. Uh, sometimes we'll do some work for smaller to middle market businesses, though most of our work's with the kind of bigger companies. But I have found that many of them have all kinds of excuses for not doing this. You know, uh, well, you know, we don't really have the time or, or we're too small for this. I mean, that's a big company thing. We, we don't do that. We know where we want to go or, uh, or, or even maybe we don't have the money. And yet, I believe it's maybe even more vital for a small business to, to invest and take the time to, to have a regular strategic planning process that they're utilizing. Um, I, I wonder if you could talk to that a little bit. Absolutely. And in creating this three-step framework, Chris, it is not a template. I want to make that very clear because I don't think that, I never would, would think that strategic planning can be templatized. Uh, by framework, I mean it has three major pieces, and really the communication and tracking are two pieces, but I bundle them together to make it a little under, more understandable. But these three pieces can be uh, scaled appropriately for small businesses, and it makes it very easy to demystify the process when you see the major pieces and you know if, if um, we address every single part of the framework, we will have a comprehensive plan. So starting with the workshop and uh, smaller organizations, I like to have the participants, whether they're board members or senior staff members combined with board members, or if it's a nonprofit, it would certainly be the board and senior staff. I like to have pre-workshop uh, homework where these small groups of three or four people can have assigned work that they come back to the strategic planning workshop ready to share. And I'm talking about things like the SWOT analysis, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of the organization as it compares to its competitors, 
or any type of external analysis, and I have lots of different examples in the book. One of the, my favorite newer types of analysis are, uh, would be the digital sphere intelligence. And that's when you're looking at your competitors and what their reputation is online, on social media, on their websites. I've seen a lot of organizations be reviewed, for example, in Glassdoor, and there were hundreds of really bad reviews about an organization out in the digital environment. And these are all good things to know when you're assessing your own company as well as uh, your competitors. But I like it to have I like to have these small teams come back as part of the workshop and share their external analysis before we even start talking about uh, the goals of the organization. So I think that upfront prepare, uh, preparation work can make such a difference in offloading what normally would take a consultant hours and hours because it really creates skin in the game and it also creates a very uh, special participative workshop environment. So part of what, what that does for us is you know by, by getting them into doing that, that preliminary work, they're starting to see the value right from the, sh- right from the, the onset because they're going to become aware of stuff that may, they may not have been aware of. And that becomes a, oh, we better find a way to fix that or capitalize on it, et cetera. Absolutely, Chris. And one time I worked with a, a trade association of doctors, and this was a statewide physicians group of 4,000 doctor, member doctors in this, this one state. And uh, a number of the doctors on the board on this, actually, I always recommend getting a steering committee before you start uh, a strategic planning process, whether it's a small group of three to five people, just to provide some um, insight and feedback and buy-in for the program itself. But I can remember this one physician being very skeptical. Why do we need to do a strategic plan? Doesn't the organization already have goals? And after we, Uh, broke out and did the homework groups and these teams came to the table. He became one of the biggest supporters of the whole process because he saw that these, these small groups were bringing intelligence about other medical associations in different States that they picked out that they felt were relevant, such as Colorado and Washington state and California. And they came back and said, wow, we found out that this one trade association is doing uh, amazing things here and X, Y, Z, there. And so it was a uh, very striking when they started to look externally first and they learned and came back and shared. It was a really collaborative workshop. Yeah. You know, I, I, part of what you're saying makes me think about the difference between being busy and being productive, right? Um, busy is what people are every single day. You know, and I, I look at my calendar today or in any given day and there's a lot going on and, and I can be very, very busy. But the real question is, how productive have you been? What have you done to actually move yourself, your team, or your organization forward? And I think if you haven't clarified those things, you know, in my, my view, strategic planning is a way of identifying the priorities of the organization. What's most important? What are the long-term goals? What are the things that we're trying to strive for in a longer-term horizon, which should dictate what tactics or things that we do on a daily basis and what gets done first? And I think that, that you get to it, like the doctor that you described probably looked at it and said, I, you know, I could be with clients. I can be with uh, patients, right? And, and instead, I'm going to give up this valuable time and not help people for a day to what end and where is it going to go but what's the purpose of the organization is it to serve as many patients as possible how do we grow those patients you know these are questions that get that get answered in it and i think that that gets missed people get wrapped up in how busy they are and they don't understand that they have to pause sometime and take a look and figure out where they're going so that they have a plan to get there Absolutely, Chris. And I I think that um, going back to the smaller organizations that don't have a lot of resources to go hire an expensive consultant, um, you know, maybe they can hire a a less expensive consultant or a facilitator. But generally, with a good workshop environment where you're looking externally first and understanding what's in the market environment outside, then a consultant can start asking the questions based on what we know about our competition and the market environment outside, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And when you brainstorm that with the group, the the ideas of where we need to go, the insight will always fall into four 
main pillars. And these are the pillars, to your point earlier, uh, that all organizations need to develop strategic goals for a longer period of time. And for most organizations, that's going to be three years. For some industries, it might be a shorter time frame based on the, the market dynamics. But generally, a three-year strategic plan is is. Uh, very timely because things change so quickly, but then taking it from strategic three-year goals and figuring out what we're going to do this year in the next 12 months. So the four pillars that emerge when, when I brainstorm with these smaller organizations, what do we need to do to be successful based on what we know? It's programs, products, and services So all organizations offer either a program, a product, or a service, or a combination of all of those. The financial health of the organization. So what are we going to do uh, for revenue targets or for earning income? The third is operational effectiveness. How are we operating our business to be able to internally be efficient? And then finally, external outreach, including communication, marketing and branding of the organization. Those are the four pillars that are very relevant to any organization. But once a smaller organization gets their arms around what we need to do for those four things, then um, groups can develop goals and then the strategies to get those goals done. Yeah, it gives us kind of a roadmap of where we're going. I mean, at the end of the day, that that's what you're looking for. And, you know, to that end, you know, you mentioned about hiring a consultant and, and whether an organization, I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, there's plenty of stuff out there. Obviously your book is, is one of the things that can be a guiding factor for a CEO. Um, but do you actually recommend that a CEO runs this process internally? Well, depending on what the budget is, because small, small organizations under a million dollars budget, annual budget, they might not have a resource. And if the, the CEO has the background, then that might need to, you know, just be the case where the CEO facilitates. But I find most of the time it's great to have an outside facilitator. I know I did that when I was a CEO of the HIV AIDS organization. Mm-hmm. That was about an under $5 million budget. So that was a pretty small organization, but we had 80 employees or contract uh, health providers. But I hired um, a a facilitator and I helped shape the program because I knew a lot about strategic planning, but this other person came in and facilitated it. And that um, provided a neutral uh, party to be able to gather input. It really helped me out a lot. So I think if you can afford a good facilitator, that it can be very, very valuable. But again, in the book, I talk about how to pick a facilitator yeah. that will work well with the culture of your organization. Yeah, very, very important. There's a lot of facilitators out there and and some of them, you know, I don't want to say some of them are better than others. Some of them are better fit than others. I think that that's probably the way to do it. And I'm sure that you have different levels. Um, I probably don't want to go out and buy a $500 a day facilitator. They may not have the experience. They're not commanding the volume. But honestly, you know, I've, I've met a lot of great facilitators for a few thousand bucks a day that could do a great job. And, you know, I have to tell you, unless you've got a zero, zero, zero budget, I think think there is that value because I think you need the CEO or the owner or the leader as a participant. Otherwise, what you have is, at least in my experience, you have a bunch of people that sit around waiting for that person to say what they want to do. And you, you end up with a lot of, you know, affirmative nods and yeses and, and those kind of things and people passing the accountability back up as opposed to a full participative process process. And as having been somebody who's been in that that position, not in the CEO, but been, been there when the CEO wants to tell everybody what, what's supposed to happen, um, that to me, that, that kills the value and it kills the excitement and it kills the energy of a workshop. Oh, absolutely. And um, I find that a facilitator, if they're well-matched, for example, maybe in the arts um, culture world, someone that's a little more low key and in jovial might be a very good fit. But for banking and the financial sector, it probably needs to be somebody that's very straightforward, very buttoned up, has had that kind of background themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that the, the match of the personality is really critical, as well as having that facilitator work with uh, the executive staff prior to the workshop so that they're not screeching in on three wheels, expecting to be Mr. or Ms 
facilitator, uh, but they're not aligned with what the program shall be should be. And so let me give you an example. I was uh, a board, I'm on several different boards. And so I've had a lot of board strategic planning experience just by being a board member. Um, and a few years ago, I was on a leadership group board and we had this weekend retreat and there was a facilitator who was super nice, well-meaning, but that person started the whole workshop with a vision mission discussion. Now, had they spent any time with the executive director, they would have known that the leadership organization, this is a 50 year old leadership organization, had no desire to change its vision, no desire to change its mission. And the whole conversation got uh, several of our board members riled up. And one person threw a fork across the room and hit another board member in the head. It was awful. So (laughs) we had to take a break. And when we came back, the whole workshop was ruined. It really was. But that was a lack of the facilitator having a clear understanding of what they were there to do. Yeah. You know, it's, I see people so stuck on process. You know, I, I won't name names. There's an organization we sometimes butt up against. And, and what they've done is, you know, they, they license a set of tools and they've made it so that their, their facilitators are not allowed to vary from the process at all. They're selling a very, they're sell, selling a very clear cut process. But what that does is that gets in the way of the needs of the client. You know, there's, there's an old, cliche. You know, if, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And I, and I always say the next part of that is try to glaze a window with a yeah. hammer, right? So <laughs> it does, doesn't work out very, very well. Um, when I, when I left Big Boy, one of the first things I, I did was, um, uh, based on the advice of a friend, is took a, a, a training. There was a company, it used to be around Newton Excellence Organization out in California. And at the time, I'm going back 20 years, um, at the time, they were considered like one of the best training systems for learning to facilitate, you know, meetings, large meetings, and all that kind of stuff. It was a 12-week, it was an intensive course, lots of videotaping. I mean, it was, it was, it was a heavy, heavy course. I went out to California um, every week, it seemed, for um, every, you know, every couple of weeks, I spent a week in California, and, and it took like six months to get through the whole thing. Um, but there was one thing I remember above anything else. And it was something that, that the instructor kept drilling into her head. She said, pay attention to the intention, pay attention to the intention. And we just kept hearing that over and over again. And, and it's clear is, is you couldn't do that if you didn't know the intention, what's the outcome, what are you trying to generate? And then let go of, of these structures that you have in your mind to get there because it, the, the group will actually guide themselves to a great, you know, you, all you have to do is just keep them on the path. And that really changed how I looked at facilitating and how I've looked at, at, at meetings and even strategic planning. So to your point, you know, if, if it's my belief that we've got to talk vision and mission as the first thing in every topic, then that's what's going to happen. And what am I doing? I'm, f- I'm fulfilling my needs, not theirs. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I'm a big believer in never starting with the vision or mission as a conversation because the group has not warmed up to the full awareness and insight sharing about the external market and having a discussion around those four pillars and strategic goals for each of those four pillars and prioritizing those goals, as you said, being purposeful, not busy. Um, And then generally, if an organization really wants to consider changing its vision or its mission or any of its values, have that conversation at the very end of the workshop. Once everyone's warmed up and they have a great awareness of where that organization strategically should be going, that's the, the best time to have that kind of conversation. Absolutely. So um, we're already bumping up against our next break. So stay tuned, everyone. We're going to um, just take a take a minute or two and we will be back uh, and we'll be back shortly. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through Clarity. 
purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Carol Poor. So, Carol, I, honestly, we, we, we've really been talking about the first uh, um, step of your three-step framework, the, the workshop so far. And, um, you know, there's probably, we probably could spend our whole time talking about how to make a workshop fun, but I love the idea of, of let's take some of the, what I would call drudgery, you know, things like the SWAT exercise, have them do the work ahead of time, come prepared to talk as opposed to be in this mode of creating and waste, not wasting time, but taking valuable time. I, I, I love that. I love a lot of the other suggestions that you had, you know, the facilitator I think is key to keep it fresh and going. Um, that's all great. And, and I mean, I, I think that, that, that that's truly, truly helpful, but there's the next two steps of the framework. There's, there's getting the plan formalized and, um, you know, tracking it and keeping it on, you know, keeping it moving. I, I, I was just um, taking a look at, uh, because of another project, I had to check out this one strategic plan. It was actually a government um, government entity. I won't name the entity. And the plan was over 3000 pages long in PDF form. And the thought that went through my mind is one, I'm not, I'm not reading this thing. Um, you know, and I'm trying to find what I need to within it. And the table of contents is a mess. And two, who is ever going to follow this? I mean, who's ever going to know and, and who, who could possibly know what's in it? Right. So there is this art to doing it right and, you know, having everything, but not going too much. And I wonder if you could spend some time talking about what is an effective way of formalizing the plan? Right. Great question. And while larger organizations may have very large plans because there's, you know, multi, multiple business units or, you know, subsidiaries or whatever, uh, you're right. No one's going to read that. We all have a uh, five second attention span before we expect the scenery to change when we're watching TV, right? So, um, uh, what I advise, and I, this is how I'm modernizing strategic planning, is that organizations find ways to break up their strategic plan into, first of all, a very um, magazine oriented written plan that has the highlights of strategic goals has the vision, the mission, the values, and then these strategic goals um, and brings them to life with little stories and sidebars and, and photographs. There's a lot of great examples out there on, on uh, the internet as far as uh, examples. But then also digitizing the strategic plan in a very abbreviated high-level format for your website. If you look at Uber's website, for example, they promote very high level their strategic initiatives to the world, talking about their uh, diversity and inclusion, their focus on sustainability. Um, it's very, very transparent. And I think it's a great example. Uh, I've worked with a smaller grant making organization that puts theirs out and it's not fancy on the website, but it's very easy to see, very easy to read. More and more organizations are also moving toward animated infographics where you can actually go and hire a freelancer to maybe under $100 in some cases to put together uh, something that visually shows your major goals and might even have a little motion an animation to it. 
Um, some organizations, such as a school district, um, has a four-minute video that was produced to talk about the organization's strategic goals. Very short, very sweet, but it's out there on their website, and they can also promote it through social media. A few more new techniques I talk about in my book, Strategic Impact, is the use of internal and external influencers. So the people that go to the workshop are your prime internal influencers, but you could also tap some of the maybe entry level, younger uh, members of the workforce to bring them in, talk to them about the strategic plan and some of the key messages they can be a part of sharing. Also, external influencers such as uh, elected officials, uh, the media, community business leaders, even celebrity influencers, um, if if your company wants to pick a celebrity or a local celebrity that is very much in alignment with what your organization's all about, that person can also help you at a very high level share some key messages. So there's a lot of really cool things that can be done to turn that what would otherwise be a boring written strategic plan into a really compelling visual story, the shared story. Yeah, you know, um, this this point on influencers is something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Um, you know, in any organization, you're going to have the people who are right on board right away. You're always going to have kind of the detractors. I mean, I, you know, as much as you'd like to make sure they're not around, but you've always got the people who don't think it's going to work or they're the wait and see, you know, that, that group. And then you have kind of this group in the middle that are your, uh, let's call them your fence sitters. I don't, I don't know, but they're the ones that, that we know can get you there. It, takes a little convincing and some time. So, you know, those, those people that are in the proactive group, that first group that get excited about it, they become your best asset in communicating the plan. And it's, I think it's important to give them methodology to make it easy for them to communicate and, and pass that energy onto that group that's in the middle. Because every one of those you get that gets behind the plan, the, the better the execution as far as I'm concerned. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree. And I think that once a strategic plan is finalized and there is a written plan, um, an organization's leaders should uh, make a presentation to all of the company's employees and also train the middle managers and first-line supervisors about the plan as well and how to share it and how to get their department involved. That's called cascading the goals without getting too deeply into goal cascading. But the idea that um, we've got an internal group of people that are ready and equipped to understand and talk about the strategic plan internally as well as externally, and then the new frontier, and your program is all about transformative approaches, right? Um, The new frontier is to get these external ambassadors at a high level. I'm doing a lot of research right now on Walmart, Uh, Volkswagen, some of the fortune, the global fortune 500 companies and what they're doing to communicate their strategic plan. And I'm finding out some really interesting things. For example, Volkswagen puts its CEO's speeches, strategy, strategic planning speeches out on their website at a very high level. They they sift it down to the most important parts, but it it makes you feel like you're hearing directly from the CEO. Very Transparent, very upfront, not a not a secret. Yeah, you know, it's uh, that Patrick Lencioni says uh, everything. It's all got to be over communicated. I always I always love that term that of his over communication because you know that implies that we have to find multiple ways of getting the message across and we have to get people involved. And you know, the the CEO even getting down to one on one level, but but over communicating it is is essential. Uh, people. You know, people aren't going to get you there if, if they don't know where you're going. Absolutely. And a good tracking system also should be part. That's why I bundle tracking and communication, even though they are two separate functions. Um, you know, the tracking part of it, being able to have a dashboard where you can uh, be monitoring it on a monthly basis, quarterly basis. Um, there are these online cloud-based programs that are not overly expensive. I mean, it may be several thousand a year, depending on how many users, but you can have different people in different departments entering in their data. And it spits out these amazing charts, graphs, pie charts uh, that you can tell where your organization's at. And this is really valuable for sharing with your board of directors, with senior staff, as well as down to the department level. How are we doing as a, as a work group? 
So there's a lot of new tools I talk about um, that go beyond just entering data into a uh, into a spreadsheet. Yeah, and so um, you know, not that I want to plug anybody per se, but but I'd love to know because there there are a lot of them out there, and sometimes I get asked from clients, you know, which ones do we like, and I, I've come across some good ones, and I've come across some that are really expensive and don't really work very well. What are some of your favorites? I mean, what are the ones that you think that that, that work really really well? One of the ones I have seen, and there's a lot of um, uh, demonstrations on the website, is ClearPoint Strategy. And uh, they really can scale their tracking system to large organizations, to cities and municipalities, as well as smaller nonprofits. So that's one that I've had interaction with and I found very good results. But there are others out there. It's a matter of just researching them and going to their websites. But ClearPoint Strategy is, is one that I really like. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that one. I'm not familiar with them, but um, but we're always looking for something good. So when, when it comes down to actually tracking, what would be some of the key information that you would want to make sure that that's on? Is, is it literally, you know, the milestones of the goals? Is it kind of like a project management type system? Is it more than that? I mean, what, what are the kind of things that you're tracking? Well, depart- um, large global companies are not only having strategic goals, but they're also tracking other types of initiatives such as um, uh, um, sustainability, diversity, inclusion. There are these these social causes and social goals too that are very important to organizations. Um, Walmart is very active in communicating how it is um, operating with supply partners and those supply partners and their responsibility rolling up into sustainability, the reduction of plastics, Mm -hmm. the reduction of certain kinds of chemicals and things that damage our environment. So um, I'm finding that, um, you know, larger companies are going down into the very work unit and individual level and smaller companies can do the same. It's just a matter of collecting the data, knowing what goals that you're trying to achieve and coming up with smart goals, yeah. specific, measurable, attainable, results-oriented, and time-based, and then figuring out what do we get done this year, this 12-month period, and how does that contribute to the three-year period? And then at the end, end of year one, um, figuring out what needs to happen in year two to get to the strategic goal. Right. So it's... It's not a static thing where you have uh, goals that sit there for months and no one knows what's going on. It's something that's very dynamic. And as a matter of fact, some goals that may not become uh, viable because they become irrelevant may need to be just taken off the goal sheet altogether. Well, and we didn't really talk about this, but I, but the tracking piece also puts a layer of accountability in place because because one of the things that 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 with goals. I mean, you don't just randomly throw a goal out there and put it up there. There's also somebody who owns the goal. There's somebody who's going to make sure it happens. And the tracking ensures that we maintain some levels of accountability and we're discussing these goals on a regular basis. Because that, that to me is the next place where this falls apart is, is it's great to have a plan. But, you know, I used to see this, you know, you do the strategic planning you know, workshop and you create the written plan and everybody's excited for about a month or two. But if you don't have something that's in place, there's this point where you fall into your day-to-day activity and it kind of goes by the wayside. And then about a year later, somebody says, oh, it's time to do our next strategic planning meeting. And everybody's like, oh, you know, crap, what, did, what was I supposed to get done? You know, and they, everybody's hustling and, and they get a few things done so that they can report it out at the next meeting and they're celebrating, but they didn't necessarily get the most important stuff done, right? So tracking keeps this maintained accountability in place and ensures that things are moving forward. Absolutely. And I just saw another product. It's an agile execution product that if anyone's interested, you know, you could get in touch with me and let me know. Uh, Glad to give you the name of the consultant. But um, I saw his product and it's very software based and it tracks a goal down to the department, down to the person. And they're regularly looking at this Mm -hmm. daily, weekly, monthly uh, you know, most most smaller organizations and small businesses, they'll be doing really well to be monitoring and reporting on a monthly basis and then a quarterly basis, right? Yeah. But companies with this very sophisticated tracking software can track every single initiative down to the person 
with owners, like you said, who's accountable and what deadline, and then making notes in the software program. Uh, I worry it goes the, almost the other way, where we're so software-oriented that all we're doing is sitting in front of a screen, talking to the screen, right? Right, right. But, I mean, what's possible here is that the tracking becomes a communication tool, and it doesn't remove our humanness to talk to each other, but it, it, it is uh, certainly an accountability thing. Yeah, and... Um you know, even for the smaller businesses, and, and you're right. I mean, even if they can do it monthly, it's going to be good. But I mean, we preach, we still want them to try to even get to the weekly level. And, and I've sometimes had pushback to say, well, we can't afford the systems. Well, what do you need to afford? You know, all, all you need is somebody putting tick marks on a piece of paper and somebody looking at that. It can be as manual as you like, but let's have something there. Uh, you know, I've got, a, I've got a client that it's just simply in their weekly meeting that what they do is they take a look at their quarterly goals, which the quarterly goals are moving them towards their annual goals. And so, so it's like project management, you keep breaking it down and they just have an Excel spreadsheet and right on the spreadsheet, you know, it's, it's what percentage complete is it? And it's an estimation and, and maybe it's not perfect, but it's an estimation. And, you know, if we've set like three or four milestones over the course of the 90 days, well, either we're on track or we're behind. So it's either red or green and, and you know, right away it's, it does not have to be complicated. No, it could be very collaborative, though, too, Chris. So it's not about the old days of the competitive internal silos. This is all about bringing an organization together so that the leaders of the organization can say, hey, this particular goal is not getting done. It's a red right now or it's, it's yellow, but it should be green. What can we do together to move us forward? It's not this gotcha kind of thing where it's, you know, ha ha ha, your department is way behind. It's more of a tool in a modernized world of how can we work together. And I'll say one more thing about virtual strategic planning really quickly here. Um, I'm finding that organizations are, are really needing to update their plan. So we're doing it virtually. What would normally be done maybe in a three day workshop or a one or two day workshop I'm spreading over a period periods of days where it's like a two hour session online because it's just really hard to look at a camera on, on your computer and uh, pretend like we're in a three day workshop. That just doesn't happen. So I'm finding that there are certain techniques that work really well for virtual strategic planning. Well, that might be the topic of another show. I mean, I hate to say it, but but we've run out of time. I it's it's it, we could it's like so many topics. It always seems like we get going here right at the end. But uh, you know, Carol, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, for the listeners, again, the the book is Strategic Impact, and it's available pretty much everywhere. Um, so, you know, pick up your copy of it. If you want to get a hold of, uh, Carol, you can certainly do so through me. You can, uh, you know, connect with me via the email system within uh, voice America. Also, um, always go to my website at Chris Elias and, uh, and, and I'll put you in touch with her or, um, or we can talk about this. So feel free to reach out. Carol, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. It really has been. And so, folks, um, thank you for for being with us and listening in. And um, we'll be back with you next week. Until then, have a great week. Take care. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.